let's have a look at Mark chapter number 3 and verse number 4. And that's the verse that contains the question, which is why I chose actually Mark's account of this. Matthew has this account and actually some other details. But Jesus formulates the question as we see in Mark chapter 3 verse 4. So let's have a look. He saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And as was the case on so many occasions, he had them. What were they going to say? And it says that they held their peace, which is the one point of wisdom that they did have. And so with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer and we'll ask God's blessing as we look into God's word today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for your blessings in our lives and thank you, Father, for all the different people who served us up to this point. Thank you for the great reminder that we had in that, uh, both in the song service and then in the special number that we just heard about the secret place. And thank you that we have that perfect peace, we find rest, we find grace, all of those things that our hearts need in time of unexpected sorrow, as the writer puts it in the song that we just heard. And uh, I pray today, Father, you would just bless in every heart, because it causes us to understand and know that... uh, you know the heart and we don't and we come to a service like this and we say hello to people and greet people and many times they're able to give us a smile but the truth of the matter is we really don't know the deep needs sometimes of hearts that may be there and we are just jealous that whatever part of the service uh, you may use to reach out and to touch them and encourage them to draw them closer to you and closer to uh, each other our, our family and our church family uh, lord we pray that that will be accomplished in our service today Um, Thank you for so many willing workers, whether it was yesterday or in the lead-up and in the part of today's service today. We're grateful for that. And now, Father, thank you for those that are caring for our children also. Thank you for those that are caring for them in junior church. Thank you for those that are helping us this morning with technology and the ushers and the work that they do. And, Lord, may all of these things put us into a situation now that we can give our minds, hearts, and uh, attention and obedience even to God's Word. Please give me wisdom, Lord, in speaking... uh, the message that you've given me for today, and I pray you'll bless now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. What is lawful on the Sabbath? You see that question coming from verse number four, and he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on Sabbath days or to do evil? And with that question, you have sort of already been reminded of the fact that now, having had so many different things occurring during the month of April, we have a Sunday to get back now to our uh, regular series that we've been looking at these penetrating questions of jesus 25 or so of the most powerful and pointed questions that jesus asked of others whether his disciples or in this case his detractors in the course of his ministry that are quite thought-provoking and there is a lot that we can get there and glean from what uh, what what is recorded in the bible now just to kind of maybe say this We have kind of worked our way through Matthew, and I wanted to do it that way. We're going to now start back in Mark, because sometimes what happens is, even though you have what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that kind of present similar material, sometimes you'll get something included that's not in one of the others, or maybe you get a question in a story that you don't see reflected in the other. And so uh, that's kind of what I'm attempting to do this morning. And right away, we come to this particular question Jesus asks it what is lawful, 
and I've kind of broadened that out a little bit, what is lawful on the Sabbath, we could broaden it for our own practical purposes just a little bit more. We could say what is proper or what is the proper use of the Lord's day, and ultimately that's what I want to drill down to. Now, this is sort of tricky, if I can put it that way. Because, you know, what is really interesting and what is clear to us from the beginning is people argued over that question then, and people argue over that question now. And so I don't, by any manner or means, expect to answer every question you might have this morning or necessarily be the fountain of wisdom to tell you exactly what the answer should be to any given question that you might have. Some things are clear. And there are some things that we can say by way of the beginning of the message today. And first of all, we have to remember that in the New Testament dispensation, we don't keep the Sabbath exactly as it's prescribed in the Old Testament. We worship on the Lord's Day, and we're quite clear in Scripture that the ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath from the Old Testament are not a part of our worship today. And as I say, we, we understand that quite clearly and confidently from Scripture. However, in saying those things, it's really, it's really important that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's really important that we don't get so absorbed with what we don't do that we miss the fact that there is a whole core of truth there that God really wants us to get. I'll tell you one of the ways you can be aware of that, and that's the fact if you look at today's verse in the bulletin, Genesis chapter 2, and it talks about the fact that God sanctified the Sabbath day and he rested on it. So from the beginning, from creation, Genesis chapter 2, you have God teaching to humankind about this important day. So in your Bible, since you know that the law doesn't occur until much later, then obviously we have something that God is teaching and God is telling about and God wants us to learn about that predates the law, well predates the law. In fact, if you go to the book of Genesis, you find something else. You can find tithing. And so sometimes we get very carried away with some of these things that we say, well, we're not under that today. And we get to emphasizing that a little bit more and we lose track of the fact that really there are, there are moral truths here just because we don't practice the ceremonial aspect of the law doesn't mean that the moral aspects of the law have been repealed. No one would say that because that's why we understand that the Ten Commandments teach to us and give to us God's moral requirements. And we know that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, one of the commandments is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So do you see the task that's before us? The task is to hit the balance. The task is to understand, all right, just because some of the ceremonial aspects we don't keep today, we still have before us a very live question, and that is, what does the Bible tell us, and how can we glean principles that will help us understand what is the proper use of the Lord's Day, or in this case, the question that was before them was the Sabbath. So I want to look at three things today. First of all, we're going to look at some questions because in the account as Mark's gospel gives it, you come up really with two questions. Now, perhaps I could say this at the outset. These stories as we have them, you notice that we sort of bridged the gap between the story in chapter 2, which concerns the, the disciples, Jesus' disciples going through the grain field on the Sabbath day and plucking some of that grain, rubbing it in their hands, and finding something that they could 
get a hold of to eat and gain some refreshment and some nourishment from that. So we have that story. Then we bridge the gap from chapter 2, the end of that, over to chapter 3. And now we find Jesus going to the synagogue after the incident in chapter 2 happens, and that concludes. Then we find Jesus going to the synagogue, and we've got a separate story. Now we have a man with a withered hand, or paralyzed, as you heard in the earlier reading of the scripture. So Jesus calls this man out. He proposes this question to them. Is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? And so when we look at this, we basically have two issues going, and those two issues tend really to drill down to one. And let me tell you why that's true. First of all, the incident of the disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, here are some things that Jesus' detractors, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people who jumped him about this, here are some things that they would have conceded. First of all, if you were to go back into the Old Testament and you would look, for example, at Deuteronomy 23 and verse 25, it was certainly permissible, the law allowed this, for someone passing through his neighbor's grain field to pick up something that we might say like a quick snack. You couldn't go there and do any harvesting. The law prescribes specifically you could not put your sickle to your neighbor's grain. But to be walking through the grain field, and by the way, the Old King James translation is corn, but in the Bible land you didn't have corn. So this is grain. And to be going through, but let's use our illustration, to be going through the cornfield and to take one ear of corn as you were going through because you were hungry, Unless you have a pocket microwave, you can't exactly get that thing like how we eat corn on the cob, but you could get something from that. And to do that would have been perfectly permissible, and Jesus' antagonists would have admitted that. That's clear in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25. However, on the other hand, something that you might have thrown up in Jesus' face, something that might, they might have felt gave them fuel for their argument about what the disciples were doing wasn't lawful on the Sabbath, would have been the practice, remember, in the Old Testament. Do you remember when manna was given? Do you remember you had kind of a, a very unique thing that was given in order to call out the Sabbath and to point out how important the Sabbath was that they were told on the day before the Sabbath to do what? To go out and gather how much manna? Twice the amount. If they did that on any other day, you recall, it bred worms and stank overnight. But God told them on the day before the Sabbath, go gather twice as much so that you have for the Sabbath and you don't have to be out there gathering. And in fact, the manna, the manna didn't even come on, on the Sabbath, to make that very clear. Um, something else that they would have conceded was that certainly they were glad. I'm not sure they were always glad when Jesus did it. But they would certainly have conceded that it was a good thing for a person to be healed. In fact, if you were to look at an account of another occasion when this same type of thing came up. See, we have before us here now the man with the paralyzed hand, but do you remember that there was a woman who had a, an issue of blood type issue for years and years? This story is recorded in Luke chapter 13 and verse 14, and Jesus healed that woman on the Sabbath, and, and the, the leader of the synagogue was outraged over this. And he said, you, you have all the other days of the week, I'm paraphrasing, but you'll find this in Luke chapter 13 and verse 14. He said, you have all the other days of the week to come and be healed. You shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. <laughs> so we boil down to two questions or issues, and the two questions that we boil down to really boil down to one. 
they thought that what Jesus' disciples were doing on the Sabbath involved work. They also felt that Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath day, ultimately it involved work. And so the two issues of work and healing sort of drill down to one, which is, which is work. And you can right away begin to see the tension that exists between what I said in the outset of the message, that we have to be really careful and look for, okay, what, is the, what are the kernel truths that are here? What, what are the things that we really need to get out of this while at the same point we leave behind those prescriptions that really don't apply to us today. And I wanted to tell you a little story that sort of illustrates why this is important, why this really deserves our prayer and attention, and ultimately what this story illustrates and the point that I'm trying to make is because fallen human nature, fallen human nature will always excuse itself more than it should. May I say that again? Fallen human nature will always excuse itself more than it should. And so I think what I'm really doing is I'm using today's message to reach out to you and ask you, think about it. I'm not here to set a guideline or a code for you. I'm here today to say, think about it. Well, here's the little story. A man, actually the man was a preacher, and he was down in Florida visiting, and he was looking for a restaurant, so he got the Yellow Pages out, and he looked in the, in the Yellow Pages for restaurants, and he found one that really caught his attention. The listing was for the Church of God Grill. Well, he thought, that's unusual, Church of God Grill. So he called on the phone. He wanted to inquire about it, and the man picked up the phone and said, Hello, Church of God Grill. And the preacher said, Well, that's a rather interesting name. He said, uh, How did you happen to come by the name Church of God Grill? The man said, well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. And we found that people liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service, and after a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on selling chicken dinners. We just decided that we would keep the name that we started with, and so that's how we got Church of God Grill. Well, the extravagant story at least, least helps us sort of be on our toes and see where we're headed with this. We have to be careful that a little license over here doesn't lead to something over here that really doesn't logically or scripturally follow. So those are the questions that kind of come to us in these two stories. Now, let's look at illustrations because Jesus often used illustrations. And these illustrations that Jesus used actually are sort of uh, put together with some counter questions that, that he asks. So uh, I have a little, um, I'm going to be toggling back and forth where I need to between this and Matthew chapter 12. So you might want to do that or you might want to just listen. Either way, you can find Matthew 12 because the parallel account contains a couple of things that we don't have here. And actually, what Jesus is doing, first of all, he asks, well, okay, if you're going to challenge me about the disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath and merely helping themselves to a handful of grain to relieve the need of some nourishment, haven't you ever heard? He said, haven't you ever read about David and his men? Well, that's kind of interesting because we have that right here in Mark, right? I mean, that's the first, one of the first things that comes up in our story. 
when they challenge him and say, hey, your disciples are doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath. And he right away says in verse 25, haven't you read what David did? And of course, if you go back to the book of 1 Samuel where this story occurs, which we're not going to do, but if you go back to uh, 1 Samuel where this occurs, you're going to find that here were David and his men. They were sort of in an emergency situation. They were trying to get away from Saul, who was pursuing and attempting to kill David. So here were David and his men. They were trying to get away. They come to the, where the priest is and where the tabernacle is, and they don't have any food with them. They ask the the high priest about it and he says we don't have anything here really except the showbread well the showbread wasn't lawful for anyone but the priests except that apparently David came on the day when they were the Sabbath when they were going to change it out do you remember that they did this that they would put in new every week and so the priest came to an accommodation in this for David and his men and gave him the old showbread And so you have a technical violation, but what's kind of interesting is is that absolutely nowhere, this entire story is told to us in the Old Testament, and there's absolutely no indication of any fault finding with what David did or what the high priest did on this occasion. And so that's what the Lord says. Well, the first illustration is David and his men. It, It sort of parallels in many ways. Here's Jesus and his disciples. I hope you can see that connection. And he said, well, did you ever read about this one? So that's the first illustration in question. The next one is, well, haven't you read this? That God, I'm going to put it this way, God himself sanctioned the work of the priests on the Sabbath. Okay, so let me ask you a question just to sort of put this in terms everybody can understand. Am I working today? Is this part of my job description to be here today and work? Okay, am I violating the Sabbath? I don't think so. And so let's look at this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 5, and he says here, or have you not, this is, so this is the verse from Matthew, that's, we don't have this little illustration given in the Mark account. And he says, or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Well, that's probably one of your highest output days of the week, right? And the priests were engaged in the same thing in the temple or in the tabernacle. They were engaged in the service of God for the benefit of, of God's people on the Sabbath, or in our case, on the Lord's Day. All of this is prescribed by God. Am I not right? Don't we find God prescribing not only that the Lord's Day is separate and we set it apart and we worship on that day, but also that those who serve, they're also commanded by God to do what they do. And Jesus said to them, well, didn't you read that? Didn't you kind of catch that in the Old Testament? He next, next asked them an interesting question again, and we have this in Mark chapter 12. So here's illustration or question number three. He says, would you neglect a sheep, on the, one of your sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath day? So this is in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 11. Let me read this one for you. He says, and he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Really. Just think about that for a moment. Think how utterly ridiculous that is. Well, of course you would do that. Of course you wouldn't just ignore the bleeding and suffering of an animal who was... uh, in some sort of 
difficult straits, you would, you would reach down and you would rescue the animal and relieve it of its misery by rescuing it. So then Jesus asks the question, if you would do that, that's just common sense, if you would do that, isn't a man better than a sheep? Matthew 12 and verse 12. How much then is a man better than a sheep? And then he makes the conclusion, wherefore it is lawful to do well on Sabbath days. And finally, we come to the focus that really is at play. And this is where we come back to how Mark drills the story down after two illustrations we come to this last one and now the focus is is it lawful to do good on the sabbath and i want to phrase the question this way because this is exactly the conundrum that jesus that places them in look at mark 3 and verse 4 again is it lawful to do good on the sabbath days or to do evil do you see how he didn't just stop with is it lawful to do good on the sabbath days because there's more at play here there's more to try to illustrate and teach these people about the wrong way in which they had taken and interpreted things. All right, I'm going to illustrate it for you this way. The point is, is that if the failure to do good actually puts you in a position of doing evil, by neglecting to do good, you, on the other hand, have done something wrong or harmful. So let's say that uh, you've decided it's Sunday afternoon and you're going to go for a relaxing walk in the woods and you have access to where there's some nice property maybe you have the property but you have access and you can you can take a nice relaxing walk maybe with your wife or some friends on Sunday afternoon and and you enjoy that kind of thing it's something you don't necessarily have time for during the week and so in the course of that uh, you have opportunity to pass by a, a stream and maybe like behind the church you have opportunity to pass by that and Unfortunately, though, there's been a great deal of rainfall recently, and the stream is running very, very rapidly, and the water is somewhat high. And all of a sudden, as you're walking alongside uh, and just sort of minding your business, you hear a cry for help, and you become aware of the fact that someone not very far away who's also enjoying the water, going along with their child, and the child somehow gets away from them, falls away from them, and the child falls into this running water. What are you going to do? Oh, well, it's Sunday. I can't do any work. Well, of course not. That defies common sense, but it certainly makes the illustration that Jesus is making here because were you to go in that direction and were you to say, well, and neglect the clear opportunity to do good in a certain instance that God placed before you just because of some legality, we might say, some ceremonial observance, some distortion, really, of what God's original intent for the day was, you would have actually committed the moral wrong in the process because you failed to deliver someone that you could have delivered. And so when the Lord makes these points, um, in all of this, as we take these illustrations, you might be wondering, okay, where am I working towards? I believe that from this you can distill some principles for us to use today, and that's really where I want to get in the third place. I told you at the outset, I can't solve every question for you about what is the proper use of the Lord's Day. But I can give you some principles that I think are clear in God's Word, and I want to bring you back to what I said at the outset. We have to be careful that we don't give ourselves so much excuse based on the fact that certain aspects 
we don't observe today, legitimately so, the ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath, that we don't give ourselves so much excuse that we fail to really take seriously the core that was before the law. This was, day was important before the law was ever given. The Lord's Day is important today. What principles can you and I use to try to figure out, well, what's appropriate for me on Sunday? What, what's, what's the right use of the Lord's Day? So there are three things I would like to give you. And what I'm asking for, I want to reiterate, is a fair hearing. And I want you to, because I'm not going to make a lot of applications. I really just want to give you the principles and ask you to hear them and then evaluate where you are and what your practice is. So the first principle of the Sabbath that long predates anything to do with the law is rest. Am I right? Well, if you don't, uh, aren't sure about this, you can go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 and kind of use the same approach that Jesus did, haven't you ever read? So in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 2, here's what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and his work, uh, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So I have a question for you, and you'll chuckle, I know, but it's to make a point. So did God do this because he was tired? Well, of course not. No, obviously God had something he was seeking to teach and seeking to inculcate right from the very beginning of creation. And he set this day apart, and this was something that Adam and Eve knew about that this information was a part of God's original revelation that he communicated well before the law. And so we see this and we realize all of a sudden that work was not prohibited because there is never any work that has to be done on the Sabbath, but entirely for a different reason. So think about this for a minute. Is there any work that has to be done on Sunday? Huh? I'm not trying to trick you. I just want to know. Are there some people you're glad are working right now? Name me one. Or who? Cooking. Okay, you have to cook. I want you to name me somebody right now that you're glad is working on the Lord's Day. Ian? I, yes, sir. Police officers. Doctors. You glad that's true? How about people that work in corrections? You glad the you glad the folks that work in corrections don't just say, well, you know, it's Sunday, we can't work. What about the people that are volunteer for the fire department? You glad they're on call on Sunday? Okay, well, in a certain sense, all of these things are necessary, and God, God is not proscribing, that is, God is not prohibiting work on the Sabbath day because there's never any work to do. There's something else that God is trying to communicate and something I'm afraid that really we kind of need to reevaluate this point because I'm not sure how seriously we take this, and I think sometimes even churches need to take this more seriously, and the issue is rest. So for example, if we go to Exodus chapter 20 and we look at how the, this particular commandment is formulated, this is one that God actually gives some further explanation about. 
And I want you to notice something when you hear this reread. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, this is right where the Ten Commandments are given. He says this. Now, here's, the, here's just spitting out the commandment that we memorize if we're going to memorize the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But it goes on. And it says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, uh, is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Now, notice thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day wherefore god blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it but why did he go to the trouble of mentioning all those people he didn't just say you shouldn't work don't make your son work don't make your servants work don't make your oxen work if they've got to pull the plow. Give your servants a break that day. Why? Well, because I made you that way and you need a break. Rest is what it's called here. Jesus said that life is more sacred than bread. Look back in Mark chapter, I'm going to read you the verse from Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7 but if he had known what this meaneth i will have mercy and not sacrifice ye would not have condemned the guiltless did you know you don't have to wait until the old testament to find mercy or to the new testament to find mercy did you know that even in the law you find mercy that's exactly what you're seeing here because that's why god said don't make your servant work don't make your animals work don't make your son work don't make your family work why because that god wanted to be to give certain protections based on how he built us and how he made us so that in our extremes, that in our greediness, that in our desire sometimes to get ahead and have more. Well, in American society today, I've got a tough road to hoe, right? Because it just everything runs around the clock seven days. We've gotten well away from this, and we don't extend necessarily that mercy to people anymore, except that usually when you're doing that, you'll have another day that you're given to take off. But I think it's so important for us not to fail to observe this. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, there's a blessing in here that God is seeking to give us. And we still have enough of it in our society today that isn't it a blessing? I mean, for people other than those whose job call for them to work or they rotate out shifts and this type of thing, it's kind of nice that today's different, isn't it? It's kind of nice that for most people, they're not expecting you to be here. It's different, and we still have that in our society today. And you know what? You can use it to some extent and hopefully to a large extent for the purpose that God gave it. You can use it to recoup yourself. You can use it to replenish yourself for the new and coming week. And if you're 20 years old and you say, I don't need it, a day will come when you learn differently. I promise you. I promise you. There's an interesting story in the Daily Bread that tells of one of, uh, not one of Aesop's fables, but of an occasion with Aesop. And the occasion was that there was a man who happened upon him and he was there and there was a child, and Aesop was just engaged in playing games with some of the, the little kids, the boys that were around. And so this man thought, he kind of thought that was funny. He kind of jeered at him, and, 
ask him why he was wasting his time. After all, being such a sage, why would, why would Aesop just sort of waste his time playing game with a little kid? And Aesop responded by picking up a bow. Now I'm talking, you know, like a hunting bow or a weapon bow. And he loosened the string from the bow, and then he placed it on the ground. And then he said to the man who was making fun of him, he said, Now answer this question, if you can. Tell me what the unstrung bow implies. The man looked at it for several moments, didn't seem to get the point that Aesop was trying to make. And so Aesop said, If you keep a bow always bent, it will eventually break. But if you let it go slack it will be more fit for use when you want it. There's just something for us to learn here, folks. And I, I could tell you stories about this too, you know, because I, I hunt with a bow. And uh, I know some people that hunt with a crossbow and they cock the crossbow and if they don't shoot when they go out that day, they just come in and leave it cocked. I don't do that. I don't know. I'm not telling you what is good practice and what's right practice i just know that you do like aesop and you let the tension off the thing and don't let just let it sit there for a week or two weeks fully cocked you're likely to have greater potency in the thing over time the next time you want to go use it kind of a illustration that some will understand and some won't you might find the same thing is true with your magazines I'm not talking about your reading ones. I'm talking about the ones that go in your, your weapon. You might find that leaving one of those fully charged every round that the magazine capacity has the ability to take and leave it that way for over a month, two months, three months, six months, you might find that the spring doesn't have quite the strength than if you either left one round out or you rotated your magazine so that you weren't constantly leaving one at the ready three months, four months, six months of the year. This makes sense? So think about it. Rest is something that God put there. Number two, worship. So now we move from the physical component. You mean I'm physical? Yeah, you didn't get that? All of us are physical, right? And we have a body, and if you take care of your body, you get more out of it. Isn't that true? If you don't take care of your body, you get less out of it. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. God recognizes the physical component, even factored a day into the week to recognize that. But now there's more, because there's a spiritual component. This isn't just about taking a Sunday afternoon nap, although that's a fairly spiritual thing to do. But there's a spiritual component to the day. And so we move from the physical to the spiritual, and Jesus reinforces this when he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 5, the account in Matthew, have you not read in the law? See, I see these illustrations were making his points. Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? In other words, part of the reason that God set the day apart was for rest, but a key purpose that he set it apart for was worship, which is what we gathered here today to do. You are keeping the Lord's Day in, the, in, the, in observance of the, the core moral principles that still affect us and are important for us in the Word of God, worship. Jesus reinforces this 
And of course, the early church met on the first day of the week. We understand the resurrection came along, the New Testament came along and changed that, so we have the Lord's Day, but the worship component is still there. And thirdly, I want you to think about this. There is a testimony part, and this is something that I think a lot of times we don't really think about. That we profess to be Christians, do we not? Tell people we're Christians. Sometimes I think we, we lose something that we, we could have in terms of a testimony. You, you've already exercised this, you know, when you got up this morning. You've already fulfilled part of what I'm talking about right now because you didn't just sleep until noon today. And you got up and you made ready and you dressed probably a little differently too than what you do on some of the other days of the week. And you know what? If you have neighbors, they notice that. What are you telling them every time you do that? Well, I'll tell you what you're telling them. You're telling them that you believe in a God who created the earth in six days and rested the seventh day. That's what you're telling them. And if you think that this is not so, then all we have to do is go back to the book of Exodus. I read you already where God gave this and God reinforced. This is the reason, because God made the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. But later on, when God says a little bit more about it, turning to the 31st chapter of Exodus, let me read you a couple of verses from there where we see an expansion on this point. Exodus chapter 31, beginning verse 15 listen six days may work be done but in the seventh is the sabbath of rest holy to the lord whosoever keep doeth any work in the sabbath day he shall surely be put to death wherefore that aren't you glad we're not under that part wherefore the children of israel shall keep the sabbath to observe the sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant now listen here's the first 17 it is a sign between me and the children of israel forever for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So you testify to a God who says, you know, you need a day, you need a break. You need a day for worship. I give you this day. And it goes all the way back to creation where God gave it to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. And every time I get up and I observe the Lord's day differently than I observe the other days of the week, what I'm telling people is I believe in a God who made the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. And it's from there we realize there's an even broader application. There's a broader aspect to my testimony. Because the converse way of saying it would be if people don't observe me doing anything differently about Sunday, I've lost an opportunity to be a testimony to them in ways that I really could. Now, you notice I've steered away from a, a ton of different examples of these kinds of things that one could give. Because I don't want you to hear that one thing that I tell you I've decided is right for me and say, well, that's not right for me and I don't have to do that. And all of a sudden discount everything else I said because remember what I told you before, we always, human nature, fallen human nature will always have a tendency to give itself more excuses than it should. Oh, well, if you knew this, or if you knew that, or no, I'm just saying, folks, there are three core abiding principles that God gives us that Jesus brought out in these illustrations about what's the proper use of the Sabbath. In, a, in our case, what's the proper use of the Lord's Day? And so I want to give you just in closing a little question to come out of this to think about for each one. So first of all, I mentioned the physical component of rest. 
Here's a question. Am I using the Lord's Day in a way that helps prepare me for the coming week? Fair? This is a fair question, isn't it? Am I using the Lord's Day in a way that helps to prepare me, and I'm thinking of the physical sense now, not just the spiritual, for the coming week? There is a physical component to this. Second, we gave worship. Here's the question. Am I putting God first on the Lord's Day? Because the reason we have the Lord's Day is also so that we might worship. So are we putting God first on the Lord's Day? It's a question to ask yourself as you evaluate how you use the Lord's Day. And thirdly, I mentioned the component of testimony. So we have a message component, a message that we're sending our children. Did you think about that? Did you think about it? It's it's really broad-based. It's not just your neighbors. It's not just saying, oh, I better not do that, or they won't. Well, your kids see everything you do. So you've got a message that you're communicating and that you're teaching. And the question is this, am I sending the right message? Am I sending the right message? Well, you can right away see that many questions that we get into are sticky. And you and I are not God who can on the spot make an instant determination for other people about every question that we come across. Did you notice that in Mark 2.28, one of the things that Jesus says is, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. But you aren't, and I'm not. So let me ask you a question. Does that mean that we're diminished? Does that mean that we don't have a way of figuring out what's the proper use of the Lord's Day? And the answer to that is no, because if you go back to everything that Jesus did, everything I tried to call your attention to today, what did he do in every case? He kept bringing them back to the Scripture. Didn't you read this? Didn't you read that? Didn't you see this? Didn't you get that? And if we do that, you know what? You have the same book I do. And in every case, you may not reach the same conclusion about an activity for the Lord's Day that someone else might. But you've got the same Holy Spirit if you know the Lord. You've got the same book, and you've got the same core principles. And if you want to do God's will, then just commit it to prayer and ask God to show you. Ask yourself these questions Am I using the Lord's Day in a way that helps to prepare me for the coming week? Am I putting God first on the Lord's Day? Am I sending the right message? And maybe you can come up with other questions, but I want to tell you a little story as I close today. And this is from one of the peanut strip comics, one of the peanut comic strips. But in this one, it features Sally, and she's struggling with a Bible memory verse. And she's absorbed in her thoughts. She's trying to remember what the Bible memory verse is and where it is in the Bible. And she says, oh, well, maybe it was something out of the book of reevaluation. That's what I want you to do today. Maybe we need to reevaluate. Maybe we need to just ask ourselves some questions. Maybe... If we did that, the Lord would give us guidance about some of these points. Or maybe even God would point out to us things that maybe practices that we have that maybe aren't the best. You settle that. You pray about that. You determine how God is leading you. 
But that's what I'm asking for today. Just go to the book of reevaluation, see what you find. You might get a clean bill of health. You might have the Lord prompting you to say, well, you know, there's a couple things that might be a little better this way. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness.